gospel, friends, let me invite you to remain standing and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11, a short passage this morning as we end our two-part series that we started last week. Because of some of the events within our own body, past, present, and what we know to be future, we've concentrated last week on the persecution that comes to individuals. You'll remember when we looked at 2 Timothy 3 last week, we came to the conclusion to live a godly life means this, we can expect that we will undergo persecution. We will undergo spiritual warfare. Today I want us to look at this particular passage from 1 Peter chapter 5, not from the perspective of an individual, but from the perspective of the church, the persecution of the church. And I'm not speaking about the persecution of the church like in China or India. While we understand that and we pray for those believers there, I'm talking about the persecution that a church, this church, Redeemer Church, can expect when we stand for truth. When we stand for the infallibility and the inerrancy of the word and we're unwilling to waver but we stand firm in the faith, what is it that we can expect? Well, Peter tells us even in chapter 4, in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, Don't be surprised at the painful trial of suffering that you are going to endure. So we read last week from Paul that if you're going to live a godly life, you can expect persecution. It will come. And then Peter is also telling us not to be surprised that person, persecution will come to an entire body. But he also then goes on to end the book, our text this morning, that helps us with the identity of this one who seeks to prowl around and to kill us and to steal from us and to destroy us. He gives us a beautiful picture of who the devil is and then a beautiful picture of what is it that we are to do. So answering those questions, what is it that is his identity and what is it that we're to do in response to that as we experience his persecution and his warfare, what do we do in response to that? Let's give our full attention and understand it then to the reading and preaching of his word. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 8. Hear now the word of God. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, we open your word now and ask that what we know not, you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us. What we have not, you would give us. That we might stand firm in the faith, the faith that is ours from the free gift of a loving Savior who died for us. And we might fight against the evil one who seeks to kill us and destroy us, that we might stand firm for absolute truth as we know it from your holy infallible word. Do that, please. For your own glory's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I've known people over, uh, over 
several years that do this thing, perhaps you're one of them, when they're trying to decide a, a book that they want to read, they'll pick up a book off the shelf and they'll flip to the very end of the book and they'll read, oh, the last three, four, five different pages. And then if those last three, four, or five different pages excite them enough, then they'll go back and they'll read the entire book. I, I think it's but for the reason of trying to get to, to know if it's going to be an exciting enough book. But I also think it's for this reason as well. Then, then we go back to the beginning of the book and we read the entire book already knowing what the end of the book is. Because we turn to it at the very beginning before we read the first part of it, we want to know the end of it so there are no surprises, there are no twists that throw us off, uh, off kilter, but we can read the book and know exactly, even though it may be perplexing in the middle, we know eventually where it is, it's going in the very end. I want us to do that same thing this morning with the end of 1 Peter, our text before us. But I also want to do it uh, by looking at the end of the Bible here in just a moment as well as we quickly turn to the book of Revelation in just a moment as well. That we, that we might get to the end, we might know the end, and then knowing the end we might go back to the beginning. And then as we're living out this life or we're reading this book so to speak, we already know the end and what is going to take place. Peter ends his first epistle, his first letter, uh, by giving us two identities at the end of his letter. He gives us the identity of Satan himself. He gives us his characteristics, his traits, what it is that he does, his work, so that we might know our enemy, we might know him, so that we might do something in turn. And he does that by giving us the identity of Christians, the identity of those that are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how it is that we are in our identity to then stand against the one that we come to a better understanding of at the end of, of Peter's letter. So he gives us two identities. He gives us a picture of the devil and he gives us a picture of uh, the God of all grace who gives us grace upon grace that as Christians we might stand firm in our faith and fight against this very one who seeks to do something to us. So he spends time saying, I want you to know your enemy. I want you to know what you've been given by grace so that at the very end we can stand firm and we can fight against the one who seeks to kill us and to destroy us. Now, even though at the beginning of chapter 5, the heading in my Bible, yours too, perhaps, it says to the elders and the young men, even though Peter is writing to the elders of the church and the young men, he is, by implication, writing to the entire church. The letter starts in chapter 1, verse 1, speaking about to all of the elect, to all of, of God's children. And then in chapter 2, we have that wonderful picture where we read about once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen people of God himself. So the instruction that we find here at the very end, my friends, is instruction that's given to us corporately as a body. We must know our enemy, so that as we, we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, one body of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in our identity might fight against that one who seeks to kill us and destroy us. So the aspect today of the persecuted church, again, is not the persecuted church overseas somewhere in a third world country, but the persecution that we might expect that would not surprise us if we stand firm in our faith, if we are going to stand for absolute truth, 
And we are going to call this word the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. What can we expect from those outside us but, but persecution, but warfare, narrow-mindedness, lack of tolerance, all of those things that the evil one would then use to fight against us to cause us to abandon this very thing. And yet Peter calls us to do the very opposite, to understand what we have been given, to fight against the one that we now understand how he maneuvers and works, that we might stand firm in the faith. That's our call there from verse 9. Standing firm in the faith along with all the brothers and sisters who are enduring persecution. So friends, I want us to do this. I want us to think about persecution of Redeemer Church. Persecution that we might endure, that we have endured, that we are enduring as we fight against the very one who uses certain things in the life of our body to divide us, to separate us, in order to destroy us. So the very beginning of the passage then, he gives us this understanding of how we stand firm by knowing who Satan is. Look what he says in verse 8, the middle of verse 8. He says, your enemy is the devil. The Greek word here, enemy, is the, the word that we get an understanding from our accuser or our an opponent uh, in, in a lawsuit. It is a legal, uh, a legal word to identify your accuser or your opponent. Someone in a lawsuit stands in complete opposition to what it is that you stand for, and that's what Peter gives us here. Your enemy, the devil, is your opponent. He is not some little red guy walking around with a tail that has a point on the end and a little couple of horns that stick out the top of his head and a pitchfork in his hand. We've got to get that out of our mind and understand that our opponent, the devil, is our accuser. He is the one who seeks to do something to us. But look how then Peter goes on. I want you to understand this guy, is what Peter says. I want you to understand this guy because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He prowls. Means this, my friends, it means that the devil has a strategy. The devil has a game plan. The devil is cunning and he stalks us, prowls around, stalks us for the purpose of attacking us. He's not playing with us. He is actually stalking, prowling around, stalking as part of his strategy, strategy in order to attack us. And he roars like a lion because not only is he seeking to stalk us and attack us, but he is trying to threaten us or to cause us to be frightened, intimidating us, roaring like a lion that we might think that he is more powerful than he is and we might cow down to him and we might be afraid of him. He roars like a lion, prowling around roaring, seeking to attack us, to kill us, to frighten us, and to intimidate us. But look what Peter also says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. The Greek word here means to swallow up or to eat up completely. In other words... The devil seeks to prowl, like a, uh, prowl around and roar like a lion to 
destroy us absolutely, completely, to leave nothing behind. He is not playing some simple game to hurt us, to cause us bad times. His desire is to wipe us completely out. If we stand firm on absolute truth that comes to us from the Word of God, we can expect that the devil is prowling around our enemy, our opponent, roaring like a lion, trying to intimidate and frighten us in order to eat us up completely, to leave nothing at all. He would love nothing more than to devour this body completely such that this building would be empty, abandoned, and the Word of God would not be proclaimed. That is his desire. That is his strategy. Now last week I said this, and I want to remind you of it. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit And sometimes we give him too little concern. We give him too much credit in that we think that he's got all the omnis that God has, omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's in all places. And that simply, my friends, is just not true. He is a created angelic being. He is under the authority of God himself. And so we don't give him too much credit thinking that he is all-powerful and in all places and doing all kinds of harm. But that said, we can't give him too little concern to think that I've got this and I don't need to do anything. Our very passage this morning that, uh, from Ephesians 6, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight against the principalities of this world, darkness and so forth. This is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Persecution for the church is real. So we don't want to give him too much credit, but we don't also want to give him too little concern to think that we can hide inside these walls and that we would be exempt from any persecution that the evil one would bring to us. I'm going to ask you now to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to show you one thing. Peter gives us this explanation. Friends, listen to this. He prowls around roaring, and he also seeks to devour us, to eat us up. That paints a picture in our mind, does it not? As we understand better the evil one, as he's defined to us by Peter, we understand this is not a nice guy. This is a bad guy that seeks to do bad things. And sometimes we can have in our minds that that is it that the devil will be so easily identified if he comes in here and tries to divide us because he is a bad guy who seeks prowling around, roaring, seeks to devour us. But I want you to look at what Paul says in first or 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 13. Look what he says. For such men are false apostles. He's talking about the false people that are inside the body of Christ, in the church. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades around as an angel of light. It is not surprising then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Now get this. Here's what Paul is saying. Sometimes the devil doesn't look so evil. Sometimes the devil doesn't look so bad. And sometimes the devil is right here inside the church among us. See, Peter gives us this picture of one who is prowling around, roaring like a lion and seeking to devour us on the outside. But Paul reminds us that sometimes the devil 
He likes to dress up as a, a, an angel of light. He likes to look pretty good to allure us. So in addition to the fact that we need to understand so that we can stand firm, that he prowls around seeking to attack and devour with a strategy and so forth, we need to also understand that sometimes he comes as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, good-looking guy in order to devour us and to destroy us. Think of it like this, my friends. We just finished an election, did we not? If you're here today and you think because the election turned out the way it did and the new president-elect is going to the White House and now America is not going to receive any persecution because of the outcome of that particular vote, you are as naive as, as someone who thinks that the church that stands firm on the faith internally will not receive any kind of persecution as well. It can come right from among us. He can use something to divide us and dividing us drive a wedge so far in between an us and a them that he would seek to devour us. He would destroy us. It may be something very, very simple, something very, very minor and it could be the very thing that he would use to eat us up completely. We must stand firm. We must stand firm in the faith that God has given to us. Have you been following this creepy clown stuff? Have you heard about that? Seems like the last couple of weeks, especially around Halloween, that we were hearing on the news all about this creepy clown sighting. I thought, what in the world is creepy clown? So I asked the Google. I went online and got on the Google and I found out creepy clown. And come to find out, this started by an individual, one man who was doing a photo project. And he was going around different places taking photographs, but he would stand in the photographs dressed up as a clown. And it caught on such that people started doing the same thing, showing up in clown outfits, until suddenly the clown began to change his appearance. The facial makeup was a little bit different. It looked more, more creepy, hence creepy clown. And there were clowns standing out in, in wooded areas, luring children uh, to try to, to capture those children and so forth. And every day around the nation, we're hearing about creepy clown sightings from something that was once... I grew up with Bozo the Clown. Do you remember that guy? I mean, he was a precious guy. I mean, I just love to watch Bozo the Clown. Who didn't? And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. Turning back then to 1 Peter, he's telling us, Bozo the Clown sometimes looks like Bozo the Clown, but he may not be Bozo the Clown. He may be the evil one, dressed in a clown's outfit, seeking to lead us astray and to destroy us. So what is the answer? Just get out there and know he's coming and there's nothing you can do about that and you know, just fight as much as you can and all of those good things. Is that the answer? Absolutely not. Friends, I want you to turn now. We've looked at the end of First Peter to get the end of the story, who our evil one, our adversary is. Now I want you to turn to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. I want you to look at verses 7 through 11. Because I don't want to leave you in this state. I want to give you the end of the story. But before I do, let me simply remind you this. Something I said last week as well. The cosmic battle of warfare, spiritual warfare, is not a battle against God and Satan. 
Get that out of your mind as much as you get out of your mind that the devil is a little red guy bouncing around with a tail and a pitchfork. The fight, the cosmic battle of spiritual warfare is not God against Satan. Satan is a created being, an angel. God is is over all that he has created. He is the ultimate creator of all things, the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing in all places. The devil's antithesis is the archangel Michael. Michael and Lucifer are fighting a battle against each other under the authority, the sovereign authority and power of God the Father Almighty. And at the end of his Bible, he gives us a picture of the end of all things. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now I have come, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. There's the end of the story, my friends. Even though we experience persecution today, even though there may be things that even crop up, pop up among us that would seek to divide us, and certainly all of the prowling around of the evil one on the outside that seeks to come in and devour us and to eat us up, will never happen completely because God has already already promised from the foundation of the world that there is coming a day when this evil one will be ultimately and forevermore hurled down into the deep abyss, abyss where he will burn forever and forever and forever. That's good news. Because that should wipe away now, even in the context of your individual persecution, even in the context of our corporate persecution, We shall not despair. We shall not fear. We shall not give up. Because the battle will be won. Amen. And amen. It will be won. So we stand firm because we know the end of the book. We know the end of the story. And the end of the story, because we've jumped ahead and we've read the end, the last few chapters, the last few pages of the book. And it tells us this. He will be cast down. As much as you can say to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. We can say, I will be persecuted, but he will be cast down forever. So now let's go back to 1 Peter. We have the identity of the one to whom we stand firm against, the evil one. But now we have the identity of what it is that we have been given, what we have now by grace. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after after you've suffered for a little while, Will himself restore you. He'll make you strong. He'll make you firm. He'll make you steadfast. Here's our promise, friends. Before we now can cling to this grace and live in the context of 
the grace that's being restored in us day after day, we come to the conclusion, the understanding, that there was once a day, even in our confession, our gospel reading today, we were once, you were once, I was once, enemies of God, at enmity with God. We loved the craving of the sinful world. We loved the darkness. We were masquerading around as well. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. He has restored us then by taking the gospel of grace and through the work of the Spirit, effectually applying it to us. We have been restored into communion with our Creator. That's the beginning of the work of grace. Illumination, where He causes the scales to fall from our eyes. And we see Him for who He is, the gospel for what it is. And we embrace that gospel as it is freely given to us as the gift that it is. We are restored. Our sins are gone and His righteousness is imputed, is given. And because of that then, my friends, the God of all grace, verse 10, who called us, in times past, in redemptive history, to be one with the Son, the eternal glory of the Son, now, after we have suffered, He will restore us and make us strong and firm and steadfast. He will not overcome us. The evil one will not overcome us. The restoration that is ours in the gospel whereby he effectually calls us, is now the restoration of the gospel that empowers us, enables us then to live the life that we are called to live. So this being strong or restoring us to strength, to firmness, to steadfastness. Now let's go back to the beginning of our text. Now we see the other end of the bookend. Now the beginning. Here's how we live today. By the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, we are self Controlled literally means that we are awake or we are sober-minded. There is nothing, nothing altering to our minds as we are standing to fight against the evil one who would seek to destroy us. We are awake, sober-minded. He seeks to destroy us as a corporate body. He seeks to destroy us as husbands and wives using little things to divide us instead of bringing us back together. That's his desire. That's his joy to drive you apart instead of us standing firm, awake, sober-minded, trusting in the promises that God gives to us. Self-controlled, verse 8, and alert. That we are watchful. We're always watching for this tricky, cunning, deceiving guy who may even have a good-looking face who would come around and seek to destroy our families, our marriages, and our church. We are alert, always on guard, always ready to do what? Verse 9, resist him. Resist him. Fight against him. Listen, friends, listen, listen. Nowhere in all of the Bible are we told to run away from the devil. We are told to run or flee from sexual immorality. We are told to flee from drunkenness, lewdness. We're told to flee from all of those things. But Paul and Peter both, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us we're not to run from the devil, but we are to resist the devil. And that simply means this, you have a power in you, 
called the Holy Spirit, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he binds us together as brothers and sisters. That's what he goes on to say. After we have suffered for a while, because we know that our brothers throughout all of the world are suffering this same thing that we are suffering. Yes, the church is being persecuted in India and in China and in third world countries. And yes, the church is being persecuted here in McKinney, Texas as well. And we have brothers and sisters here and brothers and sisters around the whole world that are standing firm. This is just like what God said to Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. You are not the only prophet. I've got 2,000 of them. We are not the only church that stands for truth. We have other brothers and sisters that are just, just as committed to this particular truth as we are. And our call now is to be alert, to be uh, aware, sober-minded, and to resist him to fight against the one who would come in and prowl and roar, seeking to devour, but also the one who would be internal, that would masquerade like an angel of light. I've told you this story before. I'll close with this. But it fits so perfectly. When I was 7th, 8th grade, junior high school, uh, I was not a big guy. Not a big guy at all. Matter of fact, I weighed about 70 pounds in 8th grade. And one particular day, there was another guy in my class. Let's call him Thomas. He was, he was equally proportionately uh, fit for me. He was not a big guy either. And every time it rained, what we would do in the gym, uh, there would be a big mat, and the coach would put boxing gloves on us. This is back when you could punch one another and get away with it. <laughs> and we would go into the gym because it would be raining outside, and he would let us spar with one another. Well, Thomas always, because we were about the same size, would always say, McGee. Get out there, get out there, McGee, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you. He always was just taunting me, taunting me. Until finally, I, I avoided it at all costs, because I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I, I avoided it at all costs until one particular day, the coach said, all right, Bryant, Thomas, center ring. I thought, oh, I was shaking in my boots. My knees knocking and so forth. Put these gloves on, and the coach says, go. And Thomas ducks his head like this, and he starts just swinging, just like this. And I just back up and he's, foo, 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 foo. he's just missing. I just got this one glove and I just go, boom, just like that. An uppercut. Back he goes, bam, down on the floor. Okay, 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 the coach says. And Thomas never messed with me again. <laughs> Thomas didn't know his enemy was more powerful than him, me. 72 pounds of scrappy, baby. 72 pounds. And all it took was one uppercut. And such is the case with the gospel of grace that you have been given. God empowers us to fight against the one who seeks to kill us. He will not win. Let's not let him win. But let's stand firm in this gospel of grace, absolute truth that he has given to us, empowering us to be unified together to fight a good fight. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, please, by the power of your spirit, cause us to live in unity, even in days that we are confronting uh, now and in the future will confront uh, days of, of trial and persecution. Lord, be, be our rock, be our redeemer. 
Remind us uh, that you are the God of all grace and the God who has made us strong and firm and steadfast by the power of your spirit. Seal this to us as we seek to fight a good fight to save the lost with this same gospel uh, by which we have been saved. Do it for your own glory, please. In Jesus' name, amen.